He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And I always do the same example. You know, when I started back in 99 as a receptionist, uh, there was a lot of human connection because you had to manage such a low level of technology that all the time you had was spent with the guests. I can tell you, I still have friends that I met in the hotel that were guests of my hotel like 20 years ago. Yeah. And uh, over the, over the, the years, we kind of lost that because receptionist and front office manager, general manager as well, they started focusing more on things such as uh, taking care of reservation, uh, in, inserting information into the PMS, uh, checking the channel manager, uh, checking the checking pace, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think we lost that human touch. If you can remove the logistic of travel, like if you can have a machine taking care of the logistic of travel, like everything from PMS to checking in, checking out people, et cetera, you can get these people to do something better and something more useful. Mm. So I think you can actually bring the human touch back by improving your technology stack. Welcome to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast where we discuss all things hospitality, hotels, and business. You can find us online at slicktalkthepodcast.com and on every podcast listening platform. Staring down the barrel of a 60% permanent closure rate It's time to fix what's broken. It's time to change the game. The hospitality industry is at a pivotal point. And it's become painfully obvious that business acumen and strategic planning will matter just as much as resilience. There's no shortage of resources ranging from how to apply for loans to how to negotiate with your landlord. But at some point, we will turn our sights towards the future. And when that time comes, we'll need tools and strategies to thrive, not just survive. In the hospitality industry, we fix our own problems. This is no different. We've created a group called the Hospitality Game Changers. It's on Facebook, a platform you already use daily. It's a space just for us where we're tackling the most difficult issues facing our industry and creating solutions. It's updated daily with the most compelling audio, written, and video content to make sure you're plugged into what's going on today and what can help us tomorrow. It's quick and easy and free to join. Just log into Facebook and search Hospitality Game Changers in the search bar. And you're all set. We can't change the cards that we are dealt, but we can change how we play the game. kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. All right, everybody, welcome back to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and today I have an amazing guest. Uh, We have some mutual connections, and if you're an occasional listener, you need to go back and listen to, you know, how I met all these people, but at the end of the day, if you're an avid listener, 
you'll understand that a lot of my guests intertwine now. We have a pretty cool network on the show here. And so I have with me today, Simonet, who is, ba- are you based out in France, my friend? Yeah, Paris. Paris, awesome. Yeah, so I have Simonet who's out in, Fr- in Paris, France. And uh, I'm excited to get to know you because I think you bring such a cool dynamic to the industry. You're an industry expert. You know, you've done the GM stuff. You've done, um, you know, the leadership in hotel roles. And now to find out more about what you do and who you are um, is really cool. And for all the listeners, you've heard about Bidroom. They were on the show. Um, They're a subscription-based booking platform for hotels. That's how I met Simonet was through their I Meet Hotel program. It's a virtual online event. Um, They're doing Destination Italy coming up right before this episode. So give it a listen, go get free tickets. I'm putting links in the show below. So follow along, but Simone is going to be a speaker there and I'm excited. So let's dive into who you are. I want to learn about your background and really dive into like what the, the, the journey was to getting you to where you are today. Okay. That's uh, that's a cool question. So I started back in 99. uh, So it's been 21 years of doing the stuff right now. Yeah. And I started as a that's funny story. I wanted to be a, a philosophy professor back in the days. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I started, I took a job as a night manager in a hotel. And um, so I figured, okay, it will give me some time to study philosophy. And mm-hmm. it didn't. Uh, and I was so frustrated because this was, it was, this was like the late 90s. So uh, they had no PMS, they were doing everything on paper. And uh, honest to God, uh, we used to tape four A3 sheets together, and oh, this no. was our PMS. And no, uh, yeah. and I was so frustrated at one point that I just created something on an Excel file, and I said, "Look, I think this is better than what we're doing <laughs> now." And uh, and, the, and the GM was quite impressed, and he said, "Why don't you come and, and work during the day?" And I said, "You know, it's just, I'm taking this job at night because I want to study." But at the end, I took the job and I did pretty much everything you could do in, in hotels. So I did like some front office, then front office manager. I did a lot of mice, uh, some revenue management. And at the end, I was GM for a group of hotels in Rome. And this was wow. uh, around 2009, 2010. So it was like 10 years after I started working in hotels. Yeah. Uh, I managed hotels for a little while. I think I got uh, three or four years managing hotels. I started a new uh, new little chain of, of branded uh, small independent uh, hotels. And then I decided that I had enough. Uh, I wanted to focus a little more on marketing. And then I moved to marketing. I started working with a French American company. That's why I moved to Paris. And uh, back in 2017, I opened my own consulting firm. And here I am now, uh, three years later, doing the thing. So where are you originally from? Because you sound like you have a Paris accent, but are no, you actually from, from, you're from where? Not at all. I don't have a Parisian accent. <laughs> no, not Persian. I mean, a, a French, a French accent. Are you from, uh, from France? No, I'm Italian. I'm Italian. Oh, okay. And okay. my French is really poor. You know, I've, okay. been living, I've been living in Paris for seven years now, but my French is so bad. You have no idea. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I'm your, your basic uh, American who probably can't pick up accents very well. So my apologies on, <laughs> on, on that. Um, no, that's really cool though. And you have a, you have a cool, um, 
I think, you know, a lot of us kind of in the same way, some, you know, longer than others, whether it's 20 years or five years, uh, I think the people like you and me and a few others that we've had on the show, um, you know, see an opportunity to, to really create our own space in the industry. And so um, with, with your, um, your departure from, you know, managing and doing marketing and stuff, uh, what, what was the biggest like niche or like space that you wanted to go into with your consulting firm? Um, I'm kind of curious about that space a little bit. Um, I was always frustrated by the relationship that most hoteliers had with technology. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I always felt that there was this aversion uh, towards technology to a certain extent. Yeah. And I think I told you when we first talked about that, I, I told you that we are, it's true, hospitality is a people industry, but it's a technology industry as well, right? Yeah, yeah. 100%. Even this, the smallest uh, B&B would have at least five, six, 10 different software running at the same time. If you think about it, it's quite unique. You know, if you're running a restaurant, you don't need all this software. You don't need a PMS. You don't need a channel manager. You don't need a booking engine. Uh, you don't need a CRM. You know, it's probably you just need a POS and you're ready to go. Yeah. And um, so I was always very uh, fascinating about this dichotomy between the fact that, okay, this is a very technological industry, but hoteliers are having this hard time accepting new technology. And I've always been a geek when it comes to technology. So uh, I figured, okay, let's merge the two passions and let's try to create this firm that helps hoteliers to understand better how they can live with technology and how can they can exploit technology, right? Yeah. And so that is the idea behind the firm. The name of the firm is Travel Singularity for a reason. Uh, you know, it's the concept of singularity, but in travel. And, um, and that was pretty much basically the idea. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. And you and I have the same perspective. Uh, I'm seeing, I'm seeing it differently now with COVID, but, you know, ask me, if you asked me a year ago when I was managing a, a 70 unit all suite property, um, I would have been a hundred percent like the hotel industry hoteliers are completely ignoring technology and they're implementing so many old ways of operating that make headaches in a technology like technology-based world you know Um, people people want to check in on their phones and want to have that opportunity to you know order room service through an app or do something differently right then to you know they want to be able to customize that in-person experience or tech experience you know and um People would, you know, well, this is how we've done it for 20 years. It was always that biggest, I'm pretty sure you heard it, you know, like um, oh, yeah. we, we've been doing this for, this way for so long and why would we change now? Um, and that just kind of, in my head, it kind of was kind of like complacency, but then also um, just laziness and not willing to innovate. But you said something, and I know we're jumping ahead on kind of like our podcast episode outline, but you said something to me on our first chat that really... I think it just like resonated a ton was um, it's very unfortunate. It's very sad that in order to innovate in our industry, we have to be forced to innovate. And I think we we've seen it with, with COVID um, forcing us to innovate. It's either sink or swim right now. And um, that was very true. And I, I love that you said that because it's very, it's a very different opinion 
than a lot of people out in the world, um, maybe that listen to the show or even operate at a property. And I just think that, again, super, super important to cover. Um, so I kind of want to know your, your thoughts. Let's dive into more about you on the state of the hotel industry and the impact COVID-19 has had. Um, you know, like I just said, I think you bring a unique point of view and, um, and I just want to, let's, let's hear it, bring it, lay it on, lay it all on us. Yeah. The thing is that a lot of these hotels, uh, found themselves in the position to deal with some level of new technology for the first time. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about basic technology. I mean, the need of uh, doing a check-in without human interaction is something that, especially in corporate travel, has been around for a while now. It's, mm-hmm. it's nothing, nothing new, nothing crazy. You know, we're not talking about robots uh, taking over yeah. our yeah. our jobs. And um, but uh, I always say that coronavirus, in a way, accelerated the uh, adoption of technology by some, I would say, ten years, uh, yeah. more or less. Yeah, and. You talk to hotels that up until yesterday, uh, they were just running their own legacy PMSs and they were safe in their bubble of low tech. And now they are discovering all this new technology, right? Because, because they are forced, because the, 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 the industry is, is asking for it. You know, users yeah. are, uh, and guests are asking for self-checking, keyless technologies, touchless technology. And so for the first time, they are forced to innovate. And I think we even talk about the fact that uh, for the first time, hotels are coming with like out of the box ideas that are not so out of the box, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, like they use for uh, co-working spaces or or, or offices, room used as offices. It's nothing new. It's something that has been around for a while now. Several chains are using the trend, Um, but Again, it's, it saddens me to a certain extent that in order to innovate, we have to suffer like this, you know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's, so it's, uh, it's, quite, it's quite a bizarre situation where you see like your best dreams when it comes to technology adoption coming true, but at the same time in the worst possible moment, right? Yep. And I'm thinking if these hotels would have implemented this technology a couple of years ago, who knows what incremental revenue they could have had, right? Yeah. And uh, so it's kind of, the whole situation is kind of sad if you look at it, you know, but uh, but yeah, it's it, it did accelerate the process. Yeah. Well, I've been, um, for like listeners or anybody that on the show, like I've been saying that too, like I think it really accelerated the industry, whether you're in hotels, vacation rentals, restaurants, it accelerated it to the point of, we need a solution and we need it now. We can't no longer say, well, we'll implement that in a couple of years. We'll, we'll do this and we'll do that when the technology was already there. Um, that excuse is no longer viable. Like it's not, um, yeah. you can no longer say, well, we've been doing it for 15 years this way. We're going to wait a little bit longer and do it that way later. That's no longer the excuse. Well, a colleague told me a story and it was super funny. And uh, um, so it was this hotel with a legacy system, right? And, uh, you know, here in Europe, we had lockdowns, several lockdowns. So actually we could not uh, go to the hotel, right? Mm-hmm. And even people working at the hotel could not enter the physical building. Wow. And so one night he had to come to the hotel like a thief, get the server, bring the server to his apartment, and then he was able to work on the PMS. Wow. And, and uh, what COVID uh, 
basically did for this guy it was that for the first time he understood that he had a problem he had, and he had to move to a cloud system right yeah. but it's something that i've been saying to this guy for like like forever and uh, so it's uh, it's pretty interesting what coronavirus is doing to hoteliers yeah i love that you said that you know the co-working spaces because i've been saying that too like i think you and i are like the same people just in different countries you know we're, we're got the same ideas <laughs> but um it's uh you know, the co-working spaces, I just read an article about subscription-based model business for hotels and stuff. Um, but they're saying hotels now um, not only are doing the co-working spaces are doing day use rooms, which I've been thinking, you know, we need to do as well. But um, I'm seeing studios, people are, they're like allowing like hip hop artists or musicians or even podcasters like us who are to use these rooms and functions of like a recording studio. That was like, yeah. Yes, finally. Now I have. Now I can go to. Um, I can go to a hotel in Seattle or something and be like, "Hey, I just need to record a couple episodes, and I'll be out of your hair." And it's just like, it's finally. I think a great. It's multiple streams of revenue is what they need, and that's kind of. Well, let me tell you something more. Before COVID started, uh, most hotels in Europe they didn't even want people in the lobby. Yeah, and uh, exactly. you know, it's like in the U.S., it's it's slightly different. You can go to whatever. Uh, hotel and just sit on a lobby and have an appointment right or a meeting or just a, a video call and that would be okay and you try to do this in europe before coronavirus they kicked you out of the of the of the building hmm. and if you think about it that's crazy you know you can have this incremental revenue if i sit by the lobby i probably would get some coffee i'll probably have lunch you know and uh and it will make the whole lobby look more uh, uh alive yeah you know yeah and uh, and but now they are struggling and they are trying to get all these people in co-working spaces. They're trying to sell pretty much every single asset in the hotel, right? Uh, so even if they don't have co-working spaces, they are uh, using individual rooms or studios, as you said. And um, it's kind of and again, it's not rocket science. Mm -hmm. It's something that it doesn't take a, a world pandemic to think about that. Yeah. Well, it's just, it, I think it comes to changing the operations because we're so set on revenue per night, you know, a rate, a nightly rate instead of a day use rate, plus then having to clean it and disinfect it and then do X, Y, and Z all over again for another a nightly stay. But I think what we're seeing is kind of like what you just said is really important. If you just allow the first step into the lobby for someone to do a meeting or appointment or a virtual call, whatever, um, it will turn it most likely turn into getting a coffee, grabbing a lunch, staying for dinner, having a cocktail, and yeah. then having too many cocktails, getting a room. Like there's so many little events that can lead up to it. So if you just allow somebody to book a day use for a couple hours or a, as a day use for a studio for a, a recording or whatever, it most likely will lead into, well, I can, I've justified spending the money for this little thing now. Let me spend a little bit more, stay the night, get my money's worth, and be productive. And it, it, it's just like the sense of value, right? That's yeah, you're absolutely. Creating, you're cre yeah, you're creating value. So really important. I think it's just – and I was actually going to talk to you about that. The international travel has really affected, obviously, every country. But um, you said to me on our first call that Europe is very much based on international travel. And so yeah. what's it been like for you guys um, – because you, you run a consulting company. So I'm assuming some clients and other things have been pretty impacted um, by the lack of international travel. 
Oh yeah, big time. I do well. I actually, I'm lucky enough to not only consult for uh, hotels, but I consult for travel tech companies as well. Okay. So basically, uh, I do have that revenue stream. Uh, but the problem with hotels right now is that some of these properties are running at a five percent occupancy rate. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Like Paris, where I do live, uh, like half of the hotels are still closed, and it's a very U.S. dependent kind of market, right? If we don't have U.S. travelers, basically we struggle. And um, and we are seeing, I'm seeing, but I'm pretty much I think I can talk for pretty much all every consultant working in Europe right now, especially when it comes to city city uh, of art, like I'm thinking about Rome, Paris, uh, Barcelona, uh, Florence, uh, Berlin you do have all these cities suffering a lot and running at 5%, 10% occupancy rate. There are no events, so there's no corporate travelers, there's no mice, uh, yeah. there are no weddings, and the leisure is down. And we never really, and this is, that is something else that is kind of said, uh, we always avoided uh, local travelers, right? So if you ask a Parisian hotel, they, like in 2019, they didn't want a Parisian guests, okay? Because usually they have a shorter stay, they spend less money on the mini bar, they spend mm -hmm. less money on the bar, they have less money on, on ancillary revenue, right? Yeah. So if they can have somebody from Texas, like they will they will take the Texas one uh, in a heartbeat. But now they're struggling because, you know, American people cannot travel. And yeah. so they're trying to uh, open to this market that they never considered that they kind of uh, hated in a in a in a certain way okay and this and again it's pretty sad that it takes a pandemic to open the eyes of entrepreneurs yeah well do you see it helping because like and for multiple conversations i've had with this topic of like the stay local be local travel local eat local that whole movement um i think you know we we've been seeing a huge increase in drive to destinations people driving within a two to five hour radius of their home getting out enjoying hotels or vacation rentals um, and eating at the local restaurants being like they're, they're honing into that like local community, right. Um, kind of like traveling in their backyard. Um, are you guys seeing that actually happening at all in the UK or anywhere in, and, um, and just where, wherever, like with your clients and stuff? Uh, a little on the weekend over the okay. weekend. Uh, but, but during the week, it's brutal. Uh, yeah. so it's like, you have, you have pretty much nobody local, uh, driving around during the weekdays. And, and you, so you, it's, it's quite, it's quite bad. Why do you think that is? Well, because like local people, they, they just tend to take weekends break. So, mm -hmm. uh, you got this occupation rate that is like schizophrenic, you know, you got uh, Friday and Saturday is the rate and then Sunday it goes down to zero. And for all the week, there are no, no like corporate uh, travelers. There, there's no events. There's no international travelers. So you see nothing. And then you have, again, a spike over the weekend. And, um, and that is why, you know, that is why you got this crazy occupation rate. It's really, it's really, it's really bizarre. And, um, and on top of that, we don't have the volume. You know, the problem is like you take a country like Italy, you just don't have the volume to sustain all the different hotels and and bed and breakfast in apartments with local markets. Even if everybody was traveling, you just you just don't have the volume. So um, people aren't doing like work from home type trips and work at it. Like they're not booking 
like you're not seeing any increase? Is that the 5% occupancy you're seeing? Uh, well, the 5% is mainly, as I told you, it's mainly for uh, people working, uh, traveling or during the weekend. Uh, mm -hmm. There is a little of day use that is, uh, that is, you know, for hotels that are doing this. Yeah. But uh, other than that, it's just super last minute. Uh, I start sometime with uh, occupation of 2% in the morning and I end up with 10% occupation at the end of the day of 15, 15% yeah. occupation. So it changed the paradigm completely because even... I wouldn't, like I always say, I don't want to be a revenue manager now because I think it's a nightmare mm -hmm. uh, because you sit down and you have no idea and the pickup is so crazy. And, uh, you know, you, you start the day with zero and then you have some rooms coming in at the very last moment. So it's really, it's really a headache when it comes to trying to forecast and just doing some plans for the future. Yeah. Well, no, I, I remember that when I was managing that property out in the Oregon coast where like, okay, these are the days we have occupancy of, you know, let's say 15% and they're mostly stayovers, right? So then, okay, we're gonna put these X, Y, and Z rooms down. We're gonna do some maintenance. We're gonna do some projects. We're gonna do some trainings. It's gonna be great. And then it's noon and your <laughs> occupancy went from 15% to 17 to then 25 to then 40, to then 50. And then you're like, what the heck? And then you find out your revenue manager is over there on the, on the computer just playing with the rates and getting all the traffic in and you can't do anything now you're at 85, 90% occupancy. So yeah, I feel that it's, um, yeah, I don't miss those days. Um, but and it's getting worse. It's getting worse. I mean, with, uh, with, with this, with the fact that you have this crazy booking window that sometimes it's really 24 hours or just 12 hours. It's yeah. crazy. And on top of that, there are not something that we, we haven't talked about is the fact that there are no more not refundable rates. Everything mm. is flexible. Ooh, and, uh, yeah, that's a good point. This is a big, big problem because, you know, when, when you are a revenue manager and you have some not refundable rates, you know at least that you have the bricks to survive the month. You have the bricks yeah. to pay the bills, right? Yeah. And now you don't have that. And on Europe, on top of that, most OTAs started refunding not refundable rates. So it was like, for a lot of hotels, this was the nail in the coffin. They, they could not survive without that cash flow, right? Yeah. And honestly, I think this will be like, I don't think we will see a not refundable rate for all 2021, honestly. I'm glad you brought that up because that's really interesting. We talk about flexibility so much, but we never talk about the non-refundable segment of rates. It's gone. Revenue. I mean, I, I had several calls with even big OTAs to understand a little the trend, you know, I'm looking at my clients, but I want to know a little more about the trends. And they're pretty much saying the same thing. Forget about not refundable. Everything is flexible. You know, uh, nobody wants. And I think for the first time, uh, a coronavirus put a lot of guests uh, and travelers on the spot because they had to deal for the first time with cancellation policies, mm -hmm. right? And like before coronavirus, you booked an not refundable rate and it was kind of like the bar. Okay, yep. you take not refundable rate, that's it. Unless you die, you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and if you die, it's not your problem anymore anyway. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and uh, but now they had, and, and I was one of those, you know, one of these people, I, 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 had, I had one speech at, I, uh, at ITB in Berlin and uh, I had to cancel my not refundable rate and they didn't want to give my money back. And, you know, I can understand that yeah. and uh, makes sense. But a lot of OTAs started refounding these rates. So you have these revenue managers that overnight started with some level of occupancy to zero. 
And now they had to rethink completely their strategies and they yeah. have to completely rethink the rates. It's, uh, again, I think this is the worst and the best time to be a revenue manager. The best time because you see stuff that probably you will never see again in your life, hopefully. And, yeah. but the worst time, because again, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty schizophrenic. Um, I was going to ask, well, cause we've been seeing the flexibility trend be a really positive thing in a lot of places, at least here in the States, you know, people are looking for flexible when they're going to book, right. They want to be just in case, right. They always ha have that just in case moment. What if the kids get sick or what if we possibly have somebody that, you know, was exposed to COVID or whatever, um, then we want to be able to cancel and make sure we can rebook in the future. Do you think this trend is actually helping the industry of flexibility or like, we know it's a pain in the ass for revenue managers and stuff like that, but um, getting rid of the non-refundable, increasing the flexibility is actually making people want to travel more or, or no? No, I, I don't think so. I think that just for the first time, travelers, had to deal with the fact that there are consequences if you buy a not refundable rate. Yeah. And when you look at that uh, from the hospitality perspective, that is just a, just a pain, uh, just a painful experience, you know, not to have this uh, security that not refundable rates represent in a way, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I don't think it's, well, let's say, let's put it differently. I would say that if you didn't have any flexible rate, nobody would be traveling right now, you know, mm -hmm. of course. And I am the first one. I always booked not refundable rates, uh, but I'm booking flexible rates all the time right now because I would not even think about booking a not refundable rate, of course, just in case, as you say. Yeah. Um, but it's not helping the industry. It's actually, you know, it's, it's bringing a lot less cash flow uh, to the hotels. And uh, these hotels are sometimes forced to bring down the rates to a, a level that we never seen before. Yeah. And um, so it's even creating some bizarre uh, situation where you have these hotels with guests that are not really their uh, target. Right. And I'm, and I'm seeing a lot of hotels complaining about that, you know, four star, five stars hotels that are now getting guests that will book uh, probably on a three star or a two stars. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it's something uh, and I don't want to be a snob, but if you work in the hotels, you know that there is a difference between somebody that is willing to pay full price versus somebody that is going only to buy a very discounted rate. Yeah. And um, so it does, it does impact the brand as well, especially in the luxury segment, yes. especially in the luxury segment where you don't have a lot of uh, domestic travelers, right? So it's, uh, again, it's a bizarre situation. Yeah, because we're now doing anything for that cash flow and our barrier to entry, so to say, um, which is rate and amenities yeah. and brand um, is now lower. So now you're kind of allowing that type of bad behavior or bad guest. Um, I'm you know, a big fan of the Ritz-Carlton mo model, um, you know, ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. So I never put up with that kind of crap with my hotels whenever I was managing, but um I, I can see that. Yeah. It's because we want people to book and we want them to feel comfortable. Um, we want transparency, but what's the cost going to be when you lower that entry level to that? And you got the anxiety on top of that. I'm, I'm pretty oh, yeah. sure hotels have this level of anxiety. Again, when you have like, when you start the month in Paris with 50% occupancy, you know that you will end up at 
Yeah, but this fifty percent is is there. You know, it's it's the bricks that pays the bills again. Uh, when you start your when you start your month with five percent occupancy, that's a completely different story, and you start mm -hmm. to panic, and you start to have these anxiety rates, and these anxiety rates will be seen by your competitor, and your competitor will come up with some more anxiety rates, and yeah. at the end of the day, you will be in this vicious circle where everybody's dropping the rates. And you have situation like I'm seeing now with four stars in Paris selling at $40 a night that you never seen before. You know, October is super high season in Paris. Yeah. Damn. Well, it's like, I've seen this before. I, that's what it's like on the Oregon coast is people dropping all their rates as low as possible, inhumanly possible, and then trying to get anything they can. And it is at the end of the day, costing them business than it is. Yeah. They're not even <laughs> breaking even. They're not yeah. even breaking even some very often. I think yeah. there is a psychological motivation. I, I think people want to keep working. They don't want to close the hotels. And I can understand yeah. it. And, and I do truly respect that. Yeah. Uh, honest, honest to God, you know, all my clients that stay uh, open all the time, I have a, a true respect for these people. I have yeah. like general managers working double shifts. I have owners working at the front office. I'm seeing stuff that I would not think would have been possible. And, uh, but, but again, it's, uh, it's quite challenging. So let me ask you this kind of a hard question then. What, uh, what's going to be, what's, what do you see this happen? Like, do you see their recovery happening in a certain time frame, or do you see there anything being key to the recovery? Um, other, you know, like, obviously we're all hoping for like a vaccine and for the world to open up again or something, you know, post COVID where there's, this isn't a fear anymore, right? This isn't something that's shutting down the countries, but um, shutting down the world. What do you see that like something being really key for, for the, the industry to recoup? Well, I would say that the vaccine, at least in the, uh, the, the eye of the public, that will be like a huge uh, benefit. And I think that will be the moment where everybody will say, okay, Worst case scenario, I can I can get vaccinated, okay, and I can travel yeah. again. And I and I don't have a problem with that. I would get vaccinated today if I could start <laughs> traveling again. Yeah. And I, I think I told you the first time we met. I told you, look, I I usually live outside of my apartment 100 nights a, a year, and yeah. to me it's it's crazy. You know, over the last eight months, I probably traveled a couple of weeks. So it's uh it's 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 really almost an impossible life for me. Yeah. And um, so I think uh, when we have a vaccine or at least we start having the first vaccine and we don't we do not necessarily have to vaccinate all people. But the fact that there is a vaccine out there will give a different uh, different message, will give a different message of hope. Uh, what you need to understand is that what you guys are seeing in the US now, it's something that we saw in Europe months before. Mm. And especially me, being an Italian guy, uh, we are we were the first country to fight this virus and i do remember like crazy stories it was like the first months were brutal a lot of deaths the fatality rate was up 10 percent. it was crazy yeah. and uh so we we tend to take this quite seriously because a lot of people died you know everybody yeah. that i know know somebody that had coronavirus or had some kind of complication my father-in-law has coronavirus and had complications so it's yeah. uh, something that we feel very closely uh but there is another aspect and that is the the media exposure of the virus right and uh, and of course we are very protective here in europe but i think the moment we have a vaccine we could all take a breath and think okay we can 
go back to some kind of normality right now. Yeah. Uh, but I think like 2021, I think we will have to deal with that. Look, honestly, I don't think it will be much different from 2020. Uh, and I don't think I was reading some 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 articles. I don't think we will be able to vaccinate the majority of people before 2022 anyway. So mm. I think we will have to deal another year with this very strange kind of distribution and then back to 2022, 2023, back to almost normal. So we have a long, long road is what I you're think, saying. I think so, unfortunately. I, I would yeah. like to be optimistic, but uh, honestly, I don't see... Without a vaccine available for uh, the, the majority of the population, I don't see how we can restore that trust in uh, in traveling, you know, and, and I can understand, especially like with corporate traveler or meeting, yeah. meeting travelers, older people traveling, they will not feel safe. And I do yeah. understand and respect that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Well, um, we kind of talked about this in the beginning of the episode, but to wrap this up, uh, what are you going to be talking about at I Meet Hotel Destination Italy? Uh, I'm kind of curious to give the audience a sneak peek so that way they, because I'm this is a great episode. So listeners, if you've been listening and you like what Simon uh, has been saying and uh, what we've been talking about, here's a little sneak peek of what you can tune into at Destination Italy virtually. Okay. Um, I will talk about post-human hospitality. So basically, I will talk a lot about the use of technology in hospitality and about this dichotomy between industry being of, you know, a people industry and being a tech, uh, a tech industry as well. So uh, I will talk about some um, fascinating topics, at least for me. So I will talk a little about transhumanism mm -hmm. and I will talk a little about, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, the use of robotics in hotels. And so I think it will be quite fun. You're the first guest on the show to ever talk about these things and even mention the word of like post-humanization and all this other stuff. So uh, I, I'm interested and I'm actually going to be tuning in. So I have Please to do. know, no, I have to know more. Like this is a, a topic I know nothing about. I'm, I'm all about humans, people, connections, community. Uh, so thinking just the thought of the industry going away from that is like, <gasps> but, but that's, that is where, that is where I think you're wrong because the thing okay. is that, the more technology, I always say, the more technology you bring to hotels, the less repetitive jobs you need to ask to your staff. And mm -hmm. this stuff can be freed up and they can have the time to actually connect with, with the guests. And I always do the same example. You know, when I started it back in 99 as a receptionist, uh, there was a lot of human connection because you had to yeah. manage such a low level of technology that all the time you had was spent with the guests. I can tell you, I still have friends that I met in the hotel that were guests of my yeah. hotel like 20 years ago. Yeah. And uh, over the over the the years, we kind of lost that because receptionist and front office manager, general manager as well, they started focusing more on things such as uh, taking care of reservation, uh, inserting information into the PMS, uh, checking the channel manager, uh, checking the check-in pace, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think we lost that human touch. If you can remove the logistic of travel, like if you can have a machine taking care of the logistic of travel, like everything from PMS to checking in, checking out people, et cetera, you can get these people to do something better and something more useful. Mm. So I think you can actually bring the human touch back by improving your technology stack. So 
when I talk about, and that is the main idea of the, of the speech, when I talk about post-human hospitality, I'm talking about the fact that actually I'm putting humans again at the center of the ecosystem, while everything that can be managed by AI or by robots or by machine learning, whatever, can be done and should be done by robots. You know, if they can do it better, yeah, that's, that's fine. That is what I was looking for, man. That is some good stuff. No, I, now that you, when you phrase it like that, that makes so much more sense. You're not taking the human out, you're putting it back in. That's some, that's some powerful stuff, dude. Like that. Yeah. So listeners, you got to tune in destination Italy. You got to hear that because this is going to, yeah, dude, that just gave me, you, you just got me amped up. Like I'm going to go to my next meeting right after this, like <laughs> screaming and running like a kid that just drank coffee for the first time. So yeah, no, that's incredible, dude. I, yeah. Simon, a, you're, 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 you're a genius. So oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey man, I just want to appreciate, I'd say, I appreciate you for being on the show for doing what you do. Um, really thinking outside the box in the sense of helping bring a new type of conversation to the industry. It's incredible. So for listeners, where can they find you? Obviously I'm going to take everything in the show notes, but, um, if for anybody that wants to dive in more, learn more, and of course, um, maybe even reach out, where, where can they do that? Okay, so I have a website, it's travelsingularity.com. So you can get in touch with me directly there. You can find me on LinkedIn. It's quite easy. Uh, you can probably copy paste my name on, on the show and that will be easy to easier to find, especially for non-Italian people. <laughs> and um, And I do have my own podcast. I don't know if I can talk about the competition. Oh yeah, of course, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I love it. Uh, I do have my own podcast every Friday at uh, 3 p.m. Uh, Central Europe time uh, where I do go over. It's called Digital. I go over the best 10 travel tech news of the week when I always have a couple of guests with me. And I have several CEOs over the years. We just um, made the one year finish line this uh, this October. So we're we're pretty happy about the results. So if you want to get in touch with me, it's basically travelsingularity.com. Uh, drop me a message on LinkedIn or tune in every Friday to the podcast. Yeah, no, I just found out when I was doing research about you and I told you this, but for the audience, uh, I was doing more research before our conversation and I found out he had a podcast too. And I was like, what the heck? You never told me this so, like at our pre-chat. This is great. And uh, it's a good show. I'm, it's a different state. Like it's, it's different. It's a different thing in the hospitality that doesn't get covered much, you know, the top tech news in hotels and hospitality is is something that's covered on the sense of like everyone has to cover it but we don't cover in the depth that you guys do and so it was really cool to li like listen to a few episodes and get to oh, be in the brains yeah no it was it was awesome so definitely tune in i'll link it in the show notes um slick talkers tune in i meet hotel destination italy listen to simone's talk and of course tune into everything that he's doing great stuff i'm gonna link it on the show notes Simon A, you're the best, my friend. Thank you for joining me on the show. And I'm Thank excited. Thank you for having see, me. Yeah, I'm excited to see more that you do. It's incredible. Great. Thank you so much for listening. We love your support and want to provide the best we can to all our listeners. So please find us online, social media, and on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. What's up, everybody? If you've gotten this far into the episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, then you are amazing. And thank you so much for tuning in. 
We want to send you two places really quickly. If you can, check out the show notes and click the hospitality.fm link. Check out all of our other shows on the podcast network. And don't forget, if you have someone that you want to hear on the podcast, then fill out the guest fill out form so that way we can get them on the show. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy another episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast.